Now we're going to get into our message for today, Second Chronicles chapter. Uh, really, we're going to spend a lot of time in chapter twenty, but we'll talk about seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen hopefully quickly, because I don't want to uh, miss the point by spending too much time where I don't want to be. If that makes any sense, it makes sense to me. So while we're looking at that, we've been talking about uh, continuing from our revival that happened in August when uh, Bob Belts was here, encouraging us and giving us a word from the Lord. And hopefully we have been able to spend the last three weeks or so uh, building on that and seeking the Lord to give us what we need to proceed on in this world, making disciples, loving God and loving people, right? Because our goal is to serve the Lord and do it faithfully. In the middle of all of this, a question comes to my mind that maybe might come to y'all in, in your mind. When do people really need revival? At what, at what, po- at what point do we feel like we need revival? I think, I think that the general answer is we always need revival. We always use revival, right? And what I mean is inspiration from God, encouragement from God, and, and whatever it is we need to continue on and press forward and be faithful and, and persevere and overcome. That's who we are in Christ. That's what Jesus died for. But wh- when, when exactly are times that people might even notice that there's something wrong or something that's not just quite, you're not running on all cylinders spiritually, right? You, it, it's not enough, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough spiritual energy to continue, and you need the Lord. Even it seems like you need the Lord more than you had at another time. Sometimes it's just when the times are hard. Anyone who's ever lived in the depression would understand that, right? Uh, I don't think we know what hard times are in that regard, you know. And, and I think sometimes when the church comes under persecution around the world. It can be very taxing on a person spiritually, and we can become discouraged. You look at uh, John the Baptist was in prison and was about to get his head cut off, and he sent word to Jesus saying, are you really the one? Because I just want to make sure I'm being... He was getting... And he's like, did I do right? Is this right? Before I allow myself to, <laughs> to get my head cut off over it. He wasn't wrong in doing that. He was just a bit discouraged and confused because he was being persecuted. Uh, sometimes tragedy happens in a life, in a person's life, and that could cause us to be spiritually depleted or spiritually depressed can happen and often does happen. I think if tragedy happens in your life and it doesn't affect you on a spiritual level, you're not paying attention or you weren't healthy to start with. That's my opinion. Take it for whatever that's worth. It's true. I think sometimes we need revival when we get into situations, and maybe all of these situations I just talked about lead us into a place where we just don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, we become confused, and we sometimes get into distress. Sometimes we begin to uh, allow that situation, that feeling of confusion, to open up a door for Satan to use that to discourage us and take us away from what God is actually doing in our hearts and in our lives. And therefore, we would need the Lord, the Spirit of God, to come in and blow some fresh air on the fire in our hearts for Christ. That's what revival looks like. I would suggest that every one of us 
on a regular basis need revival. And then we run into the things that we deal with in today's world, which is really a lot of the reason why we're trying to go through these messages, because we're all dealing with some unusual stresses on top of the normal stresses, right? Just life and the stresses of being a Christian in a fallen world. But then we have viruses and civil unrest and uh, a bunch of other things that are just adding to. So what do we do? I think that's the big question of 2020. What do we do now? How do we do this? I could make it a really quick sermon and we could all leave just by saying, trust God and go home. <laughs> I knew y'all were going to say amen to that. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. I want to talk about a guy named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is, uh, was Asa's son. We talked about Asa in the last message uh, for last week. Uh, they were He was the king of Judah, and Jehoshaphat takes over for Asa, uh, becomes the king of Judah. He succeeds, succeeds Judah. And we can read about him just briefly in, in chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles just to get an idea of how he comes into the, his kingship, right? He was the sixth king in the line of David. So let's look at what it says in uh, uh, verses 1, and we'll read a little bit. Well, actually, we'll go to 3. Let's go to verse 3. It says, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David earlier, David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals, in other words, other gods, but sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. Remember, Judah and Israel are not getting along. It's a civil war among God's people, what's going on in this time. And <laughs> this is saying, Ezra is telling us that Jehosh Jehoshaphat did not act the way the Israel were acting, in, as far as he's meaning, as far as their relationship with God. So, the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. Okay. Verse 6 says, And he took great pride in the ways of the Lord, and again removed the high places, the Asherim, from Judah. Asherim was one of the wooden, it was a wooden statue, like a... I don't know, just, it's a statue made out of wood that was a worship, uh, an idol that was used to worship other gods. And they were on the high places which were supposed to be reserved for places to worship our Lord, God the Father. And these, some of these people had made it into a place where they would worship other gods. And Jehoshaphat was such a king that was so uh, committed to God that he was like, I'm not having this. Right? You get the picture. There we go. Verse 7 through 9, let's look at that. It says, Then in the third year uh, of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hail, Ob Obadiah, Zechariah, it looks like Nathaniel, but it's really Nathaniel, and Micaiah to teach in his cities of Judah. Right? And with them, the Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Ashel, Sheremoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobadonijah. Tobadonijah. 
feel like I feel like a, 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 a Fat Albert cartoon. The dude that stuttered all the time. <laughs> the Levites and with him, uh, Elishima and Jerome the priest. All right. Then finally in verse uh, eight, uh, excuse me, verse nine says, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout the, all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Why am I saying all of this to introduce who uh, uh, who, who uh, this king is, who this Jehoshaphat is, is because I want you to see that not only did he love God, not only was he faithful to not wor- not letting uh, the, the the worship of Baal happen happen in the places, the holy places, but he also sent his officials with the word of God, the law of God, into the community and taught the word to his people, which is more than his father did and many of the other kings before him. Look what the result was in verse 10 or 17. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Because of the way that Jehoshaphat honored God by leading and being king of of God's people, not only just saying God is real, God is God, but also eliminating other Baals, other gods. We're not having this. Remember uh, last week we talked about Asa and we talked about the kingdom where he says, look, if anybody's not going to follow God, we're just going to kill it. Remember that? That's pretty committed. Well, you you think that uh, he remembers this when his father was being that way, and now he's like going a step further. He's like, not only am I going to say we're a a, a kingdom of God, and these are God's people, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that every person is taught the ways of God. Doesn't that make sense? You want a godly home? You got to teach God's word in your home. You want a godly kingdom? People of God need to know God's word. Take a note. Right? So then we go to verse 18 and 19 and see what happens. I'm not going to read a lot in here. I'm just going to kind of go through what happened. Really, Jehoshaphat is really torn up that there's this civil war going on with his brothers in Israel. He's really not liking what's happening. And he really badly wants this to be reconciled and be restored. So what he does is he goes and uh, allies and makes makes friendship with Ahab, the king of Israel at the time. Ahab is not a godly person. He's not a godly king. He doesn't follow the ways of God. He doesn't really care to know what God thinks about him and his kingdom. All right? So you would think that if Jehoshaphat is saying, we're going to be God's people, we're not only going to be God's people, but we're not going to worship any other gods, and we're going to learn God's word, the law at the time. We're going to study it. We're going to make sure everybody has it available to them. But then let's go be friends with people who aren't godly people. Does that make sense? Not just I'm not saying not hate them. I'm saying let's go hang out with them and make alliance with them and yoke ourselves together with people who don't honor God who don't want to honor God. Does that make sense to the believer today? I hope not. Because the Bible tells us, well, first off, the Bible does say to us that we should be, as far as it is up to us, we should live at peace with everybody. 
which is really in verse 10 of chapter 17 what we learned, that he was at peace. He wasn't nobody coming against him. He was at peace with everyone around him because he was at peace with God. Now he goes to Ahab in his kingdom and says, we need to be friends. We need to be brothers again. Which seems to me like that is not something that God would not desire. Wouldn't you agree with that? However, what we can learn about this as we go through is sometimes, as far as it is up to us, it's not possible because of other parties' unwillingness to be at peace. Because the first thing that Asa, the first thing that, excuse me, the first thing that Ahab does after uh, Jehoshaphat comes along and says, hey, let's stop being enemies and let's be friends, he says, well, look, I'm about to go to war with these people. Will you join me? Like test of fellowship. He's like, oh, yeah, really? You want to be friends? How about you join me in this war? Now you think about that. Why would Jehoshaphat agree to go to war when he's been at peace with his entire surroundings all this time? If all your neighbors were happy with you and you were didn't have any problems with them, nobody complained about you, nobody came to your house and threw eggs all over your house, wouldn't you be uh, uh, at peace with your neighbors and be happy with your neighbors? Hey, i got great neighbors. Then you go down the road to another neighborhood and be friends with somebody who doesn't have any peaceful neighbors. And they want you to fight their neighbors with you. What sense does that make? And when you're thinking logically. So because Jehoshaphat so badly wants to be reconciled with Israel, what does he do? Starts with a C, ends with compromise. He compromised who he is. He compromised his relationship with God. He had peace with God, and he said, you know what? I'm going to be I'm going to be reconciled to my brothers at all costs, including the peaceful relationship he had with God. It's tough, isn't it? Because God says, for us anyway, and if we're going to apply what we learn here, it's tough because God says to love everybody, even our enemies. But we have to remember and keep in mind that God never said to go sin with everybody to love them. And go hate other people with them because you're trying to love them. If you read, in, uh, you can go home and read 18 and 19 thoroughly and study it and get a big picture of what's going on. But basically, uh, Jehoshaphat tried to stay faithful to God. And he said, all right, if, 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 you were, if you're going to go to war, then let's ask the prophets if, what God thinks about that. Before he said yes, he's like, let's ask the prophets. So he's got like hundreds of prophets, Ahab does. He's got hundreds of prophets, and he calls them in, and he's like, what do you all think? Should we go to war against these people? And all those prophets are like, the Lord wills it. Go do it. You'll be victorious. Problem is, is all these prophets weren't prophets of God. And Jehoshaphat knows that, and so did Ahab. Jehoshaphat's like, don't you have any prophets of God? Don't you have somebody, not one person that is going to speak from God? So what happens is, <laughs> that was verse 6, he says, is there not yet one prophet of the Lord here that may inquire of him? So he knows that all these people aren't speaking for God. And he's like, do you have one? His answer is, he's like, yeah, there's one here, but I don't really like him all that much because he don't ever say nothing nice about me. Read it. It's in there. 
He's like, every time he prophesies, there's some kind of doom and gloom message about me. And, under, and he knows it's because he's not with God. Isn't that the world we live in today where everybody's just surrounding themselves with the people that are saying what they want to hear? And that's where Ahab was living, and that's where Jehoshaphat was going. So Ahab, he was like, all right, let's, let's hear from him. And he gets his officials, he's like, go get him and bring him over here. And he brought, he's like, he says, he says he speaks wicked all the time to me. Meaning, when he says that he's speaking wicked about me, He's saying, I don't like what he says, and everything that he says against me, I hate. So it's wickedness. You and I could be in this world, and we could be telling people that Jesus loves them, and God wants us to repent of being a, a sinner, and that the sinful things of life, according to God, are this, this, and this, and we would be accused of speaking wickedly into the lives of people that don't want to hear that. Anytime somebody said something to you that's been offensive, how many times have you gone off into your home and was like, do you know what so-and-so just told me? Because it hit you the wrong way. It went across the grain of your heart. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. In your heart and in your mind at the time, it felt like wickedness, and that's what Ahab was, even though he knew what was going on. So here comes this prophet, Micaiah, and he says, uh, well, the guy that went to get him, he was like, look, all these other prophets are speaking good things to the king, so don't go in there and mess that up. In front of Jehoshaphat, just go over there and go along with the plan. Because he knows he's got to say what God says. He knows he's got to tell what God says. And then he says, he goes in there and he brings the word, and look in verse 15. After he says, well, first in verse 14, he says, go up and succeed further, they will give you, Give, they will be given into your hand. So he fell into the pressure, this prophet did, and then here's what Ahab's answer was. Then the king said to him, how many times must I, this Bible says, adjure you, in other words, implore you or, 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 or call on you, speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. He recognized that he's not telling the truth because it didn't hurt his feelings. He was like, what? You ain't never come in here and said something nice to me. You ain't never said anything about me winning the victory. You've always come in here and said whatever God said was against me. So I know you're lying, so now tell the truth. So he's like, okay. Verse 16 says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then he looks in verse 17, he looks over at Joseph and he's like, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good things about me, but just evil? How many times, by the way, a little side note, how many times we look in this Bible and we sit back and say, see, I don't ever find anything good in here. I don't ever find an answer to my prayer in here. Because we don't like what it says sometimes. Because we don't get the answer we're looking for. Because we're not getting, given permission to do the things that we want to do. And here's Jehoshaphat, supposed to be the man of God, the man at peace with God, and he's making a decision to go into war with his newfound friend of the north who is not with God. Long story short, Ahab goes out on the battlefield dressed up as a common soldier so they can't see him because he knows that it's God's word. He knows that what God says is true. Not like he doesn't know God. So he's like, well, I'll just, I'll just dress as a common soldier and they won't be able to kill me. 
Because that was what the prophecy was. Is the prophecy was that all of your soldiers, your mighty men, will not have a leader, meaning you will be killed in this battle. Well, they're on the battlefield. Jehoshaphat's out there with them. The enemy uh, turns and thinks that Jehoshaphat is Ahab, and they start running toward him to kill him because the enemy's like, if we just kill the king, we'll win the whole battle. And they run to him, and they realize it's not him, and God protects Jehoshaphat that way. But then this random, it says this random guy, this random soldier for the enemy, he just shoots his arrow, just happens to hit Ahab in a part of his armor that goes straight into the vital. And it kills him. Right there on the battlefield. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from the word of God. You can't hide from truth. So you see, Ahab tries to manipulate God. He's killed. And then Jehoshaphat returns with the rest of Israel and his army from Judah. And he begins to reform in verse uh, chapter 19. He begins to start reforming Israel and trying to instill the ways of God there bringing them to an act of repentance, returning them to God is his desire, which leads us up to chapter 20 as I try to help us explain what's going on in verse 1 and 2. We can see now it came about after this that the son, chapter 2 of verse 20, or excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 20, now it came about after this that sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Munites came to make war with Jehoshaphat. Wait a minute. What happened to chapter 17 and verse 10? When no one around him was willing to come against him, and he, let, he lived in, at peace with everyone around him, including God. What happened to that? Now we're in chapter 20, and his neighbors are trying to come against him. In fact, they're on the way. They're not just talking about it. They're almost there. Chapters 18 and 19 is, is a large description of Jehoshaphat's compromise. And now he's not at peace. Now he's got war. Going to verse 3 and 4. It says, When Jehoshaphat was afraid, and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all cities of Judah to seek the Lord. There's some great hope in this right here. Because you and I and every other believer that's ever existed have come into a time in our life, for whatever reason, we've compromised. And because of the blood of Christ, we have opportunity to repent and return to the peaceful relationship that Jesus paid for. Right? So take, take hope in that. However, notice that the consequences of compromise can be great. And now he's got war on his hands. He's got a war that he didn't want, and he's got a war that he can't handle. Because not just one army, it's three armies coming together of his enemies, and they're coming to take him. In his army. Here's the good thing. Verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. 
Now, I always get encouraged when I read about godly people, God-fearing people, people who love God, people who put God first in the Scripture, and it says they were afraid because it tells me that when I'm afraid, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid as long as we know what to do about that. We may not know about what to do about the situation, but we know what to do about the fear. And hasn't fear been the biggest issue recently? Hello? So what should we do? Here we are at our question, why we need revival, because we don't know what to do. And many times. We don't know what to do, and even sometimes we think we know what to do, and it's not even the right thing to do at all. He says, he was afraid and turned attention to seek the Lord. Isn't that great? I love simple answers and simple solutions. That's about the easiest thing I know to do. Turn your attention to the Lord and then say, I don't know what to do. Right? God already knows you don't know what to do. Okay, so tell him that. If we can't tell God that we don't know what to do in those times of our life, then we're full of pride and we need some repentance going on. Because we think we got to handle everything. He says he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. That's pretty serious, y'all. Everybody stop. Everybody stop eating. Let's look at the Lord. Let's talk to God for a minute. Everybody just stop everything and let's just focus on the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if the body of Christ today would do that together? Unified. Wouldn't it be nice if we'd all just stop? Stop looking at the news, stop talking to each other, and just look at God together as a whole, body of Christ around the world. What do y'all think would happen if we were able to do that? It may or may not solve all of the issues immediately, but I can promise you, as the Bible promises, that we will have peace with God, which will result in peace in our lives, even if the problems aren't solved the way we want them to be solved. So, Judah, the whole nation, gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. All the cities. People packed up their belongings and traveled. In our day, in our time today, people travel great distances to go and worship whatever gods they worship. And aside from the issues of the virus and attendance of worship on Sunday mornings, people can't get here because of the virus. I get it. But there was before the virus, we couldn't get people to travel two miles to worship God or to seek the Lord for help. So here we go. Here's, Jehosh- here's, here's Jehoshaphat's uh, prayer. Let's, let's look at the prayer really quick, and then we'll try to wrap it up. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah. He's got all the people around. Uh, and, and some of the Jerusalem, some of the people from Jerusalem came. They were like, we want to talk to God too. And they showed up. They were like, just because we're not in the land of Judah, we, we still love the Lord. There were people in Jerusalem that still loved God, even though their king failed God. So he, he stands up, the king, Jehoshaphat, he stands up in the presence of all these people. By the way, he's going to call people to prayer and have something to say. 
You better, you better have a prayer to say, right? So he says, and then he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers. Followed up, it's too much to put on the PowerPoint. O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against thee. I think that's a good way to start off a prayer, y'all. Verse 7 says, Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friends forever? Recognizing God, recognizing his authority and his power, and acknowledging the faithfulness that he has shown in the past is a great way to start off a prayer when you're going to say to God, I don't know what to do and I need your help. Because it insinuates that you're paying attention to God in your life and what he's doing. And he's not just put up on a shelf until you need some genie in a bottle. There's a difference. And then he says in verse 8, And they lived in it, and they have built thee a sanctuary there for thy name. Saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword of judgment, or pestilence, or famine, listen up, we will stand before this house and before thee and cry to, the, to, to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. He's saying to God in this prayer in front of all the people of the nation, he's standing before God and saying, you are God, and no matter what happens, we will worship you because we trust that you will get us through. Nothing has changed, y'all, in our world today. Same world, same is full of the same kind of sins, and it's the same God. And I just wonder, I just wonder if God's people have the same kind of faith. Verse 10 says, And now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, Behold how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from thy possession. He's saying, God, we, we, we could have destroyed them at another time in history. We could have taken them out. We had mercy on them. And this is how they're repaying us. They want to come and kill us now. You notice whenever, uh, I'm going to try to wrap this up really quickly, but you notice whenever we, get, we have issues with people, it's, it's, it's kind of in our nature to retaliate. If you have any brothers and sisters, you understand what I'm saying. Because when the parents come around and say, why'd you hit your brother? Why'd you hit your sister? Well, he hit me first. I'm not going to let him hit me. He hit me first. Well, God's saying to the believer, just because people want to harm you doesn't give you the permission to not love them. In other words, he's saying, if there's any retaliation to happen, it is mine to do because I am God. That's what he's saying. Because you cannot go down that road and still be in right standing with God saying love people and love God. You can't do both. So we have to go to God and say, it's in your hand. You see what these people are doing. And if we're really, really in tune with the will of God and what God wants us to do, we would be praying for our enemies to see him and repent of their wicked ways. Instead of asking God to destroy them. 
because if we're asking God to destroy his enemies, we have to remember that we once were enemies of God. And if it weren't for the blood of Christ, we'd still be. Look at verse 12. Here it is right here. 12 and 13. Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? That's how we feel, isn't it? Aren't you going to handle this, God? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on them. Now, think about the problems in our life, the stresses, the anxieties, the issues of the world, the persecution, just anything that's going on in your life right now. And if we're going to be like Jehoshaphat, worshiping the same God that he worshiped, Shouldn't we go to God and say, you see the problems. You know all things. You know what's happening. And you know that we feel like we can't handle this. We know that it's bigger than we are. The power, one of the most powerful prayers I've ever read in the Bible. Lord, we don't know what to do. And we're waiting for you to show us. You ever notice when you talk to God, you're like, you go to God with your requests and your concerns, but you also come to him with the answer? Like, this is what I need, Lord, or this is what's concerning me, but I wish you could do this about it or do that about it. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, look, these people are coming to kill us. We don't know what to do. And then he shut up and he listened to God. He's like, we're waiting for you to tell us what to do. Is that how we live? Is that how we're going to be today? Is that what, isn't that what honors God? Because if it's not the way we're going to be, then we're not allowing God to be the Lord of our lives. Because we're trying to tell Him how to answer our prayers. Right after we tell Him we don't know what to do, we try to tell Him how to answer our prayers. I don't know how many times I didn't know what to do. I mean, it's like daily. Daily something happens like, I don't, I don't know. Verse 13 says, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, children, their wives, and their children. Oh, if the Lord, if, if, if the people in this world today would just grab their families, stand before the Lord, and give it all to Him. Everybody's concerned about how their kids are going to grow up. Everybody's concerned about their high school kids. They're concerned about their aunts, uncles, and crazy Larry down the road. Who happens to be an uncle that nobody claims because he's crazy? You want revival? Get your house. Stand before the Lord. Tell him you don't know what to do, but you're waiting for some of God. You want revival? You get your churches and you get together and you say, we don't know what to do. We're waiting for you. He acknowledged God recognize what God had done in, in, in throughout history. He addressed his prayer concern and then he said, God, it's in your hands because we have no idea. Isn't that where God wants us to be? So the answer comes in verse 14 through 14 and 15. I'll read this really quick and then we're going to close. Then in the midst of Assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of 
a bunch of other guys. And in verse 15, he said, And he said, Listen, all of Judah, this is the answer to the prayer, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king, Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of all this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Hello? Whoever's got anxiety right now in your life and seems to be overwhelming, it's not your battle. God is dealing with that. God is handling that. And he will let you know what to do in reference to the whole situation along the way. Isn't it great? When God answers your prayer, it's like, I got this. Just hang out. I got this. If God says, I got this, doesn't that bring comfort and peace into your heart? If I say, you're, as, as a person, as your friend, as your brother in Christ, even as your preacher, if I say to you, don't worry about it, I got this, y'all be like, I don't know. <laughs> I love you, and I trust you, but I don't know. <laughs> but God says, I got this. I'm not even going to list all the things we're all stressed out about. It doesn't matter. You pick one. Pick any of them. Pick them all. God's got this. And if you're, if you're having a hard time with that, we need to pray about it. We need to go back to God and ask him what to do. Look what it says, verse 16. I'm, I'm going to try to hurry. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ancient of, uh, the, the ascent of Zid, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of, of Jero. All right? That's his answer. Skip down to verse 20. Check this out. Remember, uh, remember uh, uh, Abraham. When God says, I want you to take your son up the mountain, I want you to put him on the altar, I want you to just ram a dagger in his heart as a, as a sacrifice. That's what I want you to do. Remember that? If you read that account, if you go back and read that account, it says, Abraham got up, well, Abraham, he said, Abraham got up the next morning. Early the next morning to go do what God told him to do. Verse 20. Here we are. We'll finish up with this. Verse 20 says, And they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat said, Listen to me. Check it out. He, all these, the, the warriors are there. All the fighting men are there. All the people are there. They all got up early. And they're like, Hey, let's go do what God says to do. If you're going to ask God what to do when he tells you to do it, get up the next morning and do it. So he goes over and he's like, Hey, need the choir up front? So you can read it. He says, I want all the singing people and the music people to get up here in the front. We're going to sing some hymns, and we're going to go where God told us to go. So they were walking down to this place, and they were singing hymns to God. They were singing praises to God. Why, what do you think? Do you think that would have been hard to sing those praises? I think maybe if you think about it, you're like, hmm, I don't know. I could be singing Amazing Grace all the way down that hill, but I know I'm going into this battle. And it's like, but the question is, do you trust God? These, these people trusted God so much, they asked him what to do. He said what to do. They got up early the next morning to go do it. So they were like, hey, God said we're going to get the victory, so let's go. Amazing grace and victory in Jesus and so on. If you read the rest of the account, they showed up and all of the enemy was dead. Everyone was dead on the ground when it got there. God made it to turned on themselves and killed each other before they ever got there. And you can read the rest of it, and it says it took them four days to collect all of, of the plunder, all of the riches off of them that God blessed them with. Four days it took them to collect all that stuff. You want peace in your life? 
it further says, so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace because God gave him rest and also. That's revival, y'all. That's what we're after. Not, not, not for me personally. Not, not just so I can have peace in my heart. Not just so I can say I don't have any stress or no one's coming against me. That's not what it's about. Why do I want peace? Because when I'm filled up with peace and it overflows out of my life, it goes into the lives of people around me and people get to see God. And they start saying, well, I want what you got. How do I get the peace that you have? How do I get what you got? I want to know God like you know God. That's how you make disciples, y'all. That's how we do it. When God says go and make it into the world and make disciples, a lot of us are like, I'd love to do that, but I don't know what to do. Church is just like ours. We, we, we love the Lord and we want people to get saved. And we want to be a part of that. And, I, and, and just like every other church, we sit back and it's like, what do we do? How do we do? I say, let's go to God and say, what do we do? And then go do it. Amen. We're going to sing a song. If you don't know the Lord today, the way this is described, having the peace of God in your heart because you have peace with God through the blood of Christ. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the gospel message. It means stop living as an enemy of God. Be at peace with God. Let's join together and sing.